Orgasmic Enlightenment, where the sexual and spiritual come together. I'm Kimanami, and I'm a holistic sex and relationship coach and a vaginal weightlifter. In this show, we explore all things intimate. I believe that our sexual energy is life force, creative energy, and we can use it to shape our worlds, strengthen our relationships, and self-actualize. I blend the most avant-garde information from neuroscience, ancient sexual practices like Tantra and Taoism, to renegade wellness modalities to show you how to create gourmet sex in your lives. Come one, come all. Deep throat for a better birth. There are so many good uses for deep throating. It's hard to keep track of them all. It's great for making money, finding your voice, and healing thyroid issues. And those are just some of the benefits for women. It is also wonderful as a labor tool while birthing your baby. The open your throat, open your vagina axiom can be tapped for one of the most important sexual acts, giving birth. Yes, giving birth is a sexual act. The reason why so many births go off the rails into full cataclysm and tragedy is because most people don't realize that sexual energy and arousal are the best lubricating and opening agents to bring your baby into the world and to be born with a nervous system which is primed for bliss. Think about it. When a baby is born into the typical hospital, emergency, surgical, and machete-wielding setting, they are imprinted with the energies of life is about pain, suffering, and trauma, and you are powerless. You are helpless, as the birthing woman usually is. Or (laughs) you can be imprinting the energies of you are in charge of your life and your body. Pleasure is your literal birthright. I mean, starting with birth, (laughs) you are in tune with the divine forces of nature and the cosmos, and you can live your life in alignment with them. Which would you rather Nothing will give your child a better start in this world than birthing them in ecstasy. The way you birth your child also sets the tone and imprinting for your entire motherhood journey. And it sets the tone and nervous system imprinting for your child's life. Which would you rather? Bliss or pain? In today's episode, we hear from Christy, who is a longtime salon alumni and three-time free birther. As a dedicated Anami all-star, she knows that the secret to life is connecting to her sexual energy. Yes, the birthing energy of the universe. And so she used her sexuality as a deliberate tool during birth. I have so much respect for these women who have the courage to trust themselves, their bodies, and the divine, and then they reap the rewards. Well fucked, O-Stars! Hello, Christy. Great to have you. Hi, Kim. Thanks for having me. So I was thinking that we would call this podcast episode, Suck a Dick for a Great Birth. (laughs) 
<laughs> because you made a comment on a post on my Instagram when we were talking about free birthing and orgasmic birth, how deep throating really helped you in one of your births. So you've had three free births, which is amazing. Um, we'd love to hear about whatever you'd like to share on that, but particularly this connection between your sexual openness and play during the birth experience and what that did for you at the birth. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's right. I've had three free births. Um, my first was when I was 26 and the second when I was 32 and the third when I was 38. So it's a wide range between my kids and also a wide range of my journey with my own sensuality and sexuality and connecting it to birth and the way our bodies really work as women. So I actually didn't discover your work until after my second baby was born. So it's really interesting how my third birth was <clears throat> directly, directly like inspired or influenced by the work that I had been doing for um, like five years um, at that point um, to the point of that third free birth being like a two-hour birth. And as soon as I knew that labor had kind of started, I gave my partner a deep-throated blowjob and it opened my cervix. And, you know, I think he went to sleep and I was just like, you know, kind of riding these waves in bed. And then I was like, oh, okay, it's time to fill the birth tub. I will come up, go fill the tub. And yeah, I went in and birthed her pretty soon after. So you, from the start, had this you were free birthing because some women don't come to it right away, like unless they've been really immersed in the culture, which I think these days there's a much larger conversation about free birth and birthing outside of the system. But a lot of women, I think, start, you know, with maybe even if not in the hospital, but with a midwife at home, and then they kind of evolve into free birth. But you right out of the gate. So why? How? Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, it's it's really wild to think about. I mean, I've always been a very free spirit. I've always been a very rebellious kind of stubborn, like not go with any mainstream anything. So I, I guess I'd always envisioned birthing my baby in the bathtub at home with a midwife. Like that was sort of in my head. And before I was even pregnant with my first baby, I was reading Spiritual Midwifery by Ina Megaskin, and like that was like far out, right? That was like super psychedelic. Women were literally talking about their births being psychedelic. And I was like, fuck yeah, like that is totally my scene. And so I did get a midwife, and I thought that that was going to be the experience that I had always been dreaming of. And then throughout the pregnancy, it was interesting because I kind of avoided all the visits. Like somehow... I didn't have to go to them. Like I just fell off their system and I was like, awesome. And then by the time they were like, whoa, wait a minute, come, come into the office. Like you're missing all these appointments. They're like wanting to test me for like everything. And I just said, no, I just said, no, no, no. And I realized pretty quick that this was very medicalized and this was not supporting me as a woman, intuitively knowing my body, connecting to my baby, None of that really mattered. In fact, they saw 
the sacred birth book that I had, I forget, I think Sunny Carl wrote that one. And the midwife said, oh, I should really get more of those books. Like, I just have all these other, like, medicalized birth what books. What do you expect like, yeah. when you're expecting? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, stay away from that book. Stay away. Burn it, actually. So I just, yeah, I just realized, like, and they, were, and they were using the Doppler, and I was, like, researching. I was like, I don't want you using the Doppler anymore, actually. I don't want any ultrasounds. I, my blood is fine. I feel great. Like, I just knew I was great and fine. And they just kept pushing all these tests. And I was just getting more and more like, I don't want you in my birth space. I actually don't want you energetically near this sacred passage of birth that I'm going to be going through. And I fired one of the midwives. The other midwife said, okay, that's fine. Like, you can just stick with me. I'll shut up. I'll sit in the corner. And do as I'm told. That's what they, that's well, to me their role, right? If anybody, totally. when I talk to people about it, and look, I respect everyone's evolution and journey for where they are, but I tell people my view of the midwife's ideal role is if you really feel like you want them, then they sit in another room, they sit in the corner, give them a fucking book or something, you know, podcast to listen to. And if, if you want them, Somebody can, you know, grab your partner or whatever can grab them from the other room. But otherwise, they do not. They're not in the room in the space with you, right? You're in your own space. So, yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of what was in my head as a, you know, to be like future have a midwife in my birth that they would be a space holder. That's it, space holder. You know, and and just there, like, cause that's beautiful. Like it is such a beautiful journey to go through as a woman and a mother and to have someone hold that space right. is amazing, amazing. But that is so few and far between, you know, that, that a woman will actually just basically not be there, but be there, you know? So yeah, fast forward to, I move into this new apartment. It's two top floors of an old house. I'm like 35 weeks pregnant. My midwife comes to my house for a visit. And the first thing she says is, it's going to be really hard to get a stretcher up these stairs. Oh, my And I was gosh. like, I was like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, what are you talking about? And she's like, well, if there's an emergency and we have to transfer, I'm like, you're bringing emergency into my birth already. Get the fuck like, this out, isn't bitch. Cool. Yeah. I was like, that's, that's not cool to me. Like, and I had already, I had already been reading, um, Jeanine Parvati Baker, mm -hmm. um, all of her stories of birth and how she talks about how these midwives bring emergency into birth. And then I was like witnessing it already. And I was just, I brought this woman, this midwife to tears in that visit because I said, I will write out the most detailed letter to say, I do not want you touching me. I don't want you checking heartbeats. I don't want you putting your hand up my yoni. I don't want you checking anything. I will sign off and like relieve you from this if you can just come and like hold space for me. And she just started crying and said, I can't do that. I'm part of this system. I have to do these things. And I said, okay. And she's like, I'll see you at, the, at our next visit. And I'm like, okay. And like I went, I literally like went into birth like or labor like a week later and I didn't tell her. And my biggest fear of that birth was that my husband at the time was going to call her to come in. 
Like that was my biggest fear. It wasn't that I was like alone at home. It was like, don't fucking call someone who's thinking about stretchers, you know? So they always like the most dangerous place to give birth is in an American hospital. The most dangerous thing that you can do is to indulge all of these, like you're saying, huge fear scenarios and to program women, right? That's the constant conversation is geared toward crisis and chaos and the worst traumatic things that can happen. So of course they happen. Of course they happen. So I'm really, yeah. I mean, I really want to acknowledge you for being so clear. And honestly, I think that if we're tuned into ourselves, like some of my, you know, most clear moments in life were when I was pregnant, you know, that sense of real, like, this is what I need to do for myself and my baby, like such utter clarity that I think is the gift, right, of being the mother and because you are the protector of this new life. But I really, not, but so many women don't have that. They just get corralled into, you know, the industrial birthing machine. But I really want to salute you for holding on to that and especially, you know, as a young person and standing in that power. That's really incredible. Thank you. And I mean, I do want to say it didn't just like happen, you know, it wasn't like, oh, I just knew that it would be great. And I just kind of went into that. There was so much to undo mentally, emotionally, physically, ancestrally. There was so much to undo about what we're told, you know, birth is, you know, as women. And so I had to do a lot of work around that. And yeah, and I did, and then at, you know in the middle of my pregnancy, I just chose to not even look at anything that wasn't like positive around birth. I just chose not to, and and any time I had a fear that would come up because fear is very normal. Everyone has a fear when they're pregnant, and that is normal. It doesn't mean that it's going to happen. But what really helped me throughout all three of my pregnancies is when a fear would come up. I would really look at it. I wouldn't just like hold it and be scared of it and just like, ah, and be separate from it. I would really bring it in. I would look at it. What does that look like? What happens if that's true? And then I would actually visualize and walk myself through that fear. And then I had kind of lived it. And in my body, I felt that, okay, I would walk down the stairs. This is how I'd feel walking down the stairs in labor, you know. Where would my poncho be? How would the car ride look like? Like, I would just walk through every single part of that fear. And then at the end of that visualization, I kind of lived it. And it was no longer a fear that was kind of hovering over me. I kind of integrated that I would be empowered in any kind of situation to choose what I needed to in that moment. That's fantastic. So that was your experience with your first birth of having enlisted a midwife, but not really, and then, you know, definitely sending her away. So assuming then the two following births, you were very clear, like, that's not even a need for you to have. Oh, completely. Yeah. When I got pregnant the second time, it was six and a half or six years later. And I was kind of like, well, I mean, there's no point in getting a midwife. I'm going to say no to everything and probably not even call them. So I should save one because I live in Canada. So um, you like you don't have to pay for them in Canada or at least in my province. Um, so I kind of wanted to like, but it's hard for women to find them. So I kind of wanted to like not take one from away from someone else who really felt like they needed that service. So 
yeah, the second one, I was like, okay, I guess I'm just doing this on my own. And that was like much more of a wild pregnancy because I didn't even have any first midwife visits. I didn't have to say no to the Doppler or ultrasound or blood tests or anything. It was like so much more freeing. And I just knew my body. I just knew what I needed. So I, you know, I did osteo, like a lot of osteopathic treatments and um, massage and I'm all into like herbal remedies. And so I would like drink all the teas and eat properly. And, you know, I did my own prenatal care that like was way more aligned with what I felt I needed and my body and my baby. So, yeah. So that birth was like three and a half hours long. And that was um, in water, which was really lovely. My first wasn't because he came a lot earlier than I thought. So my birth tub actually arrived the day after he was born for my first. <laughs> so I just had him on my yoga mat. My second one in the water. Lovely. Yeah. And then would you describe them as how about your like pleasure pain situation in these first two births? Oh, yeah, that's interesting. So the first one, um, I actually had like this really insane, intense pain, um, like a few days before I went into labor. And I was calling around a massage therapist, I was calling around osteos, I like calling everywhere. I'm like, what is this pain? And they're like, I don't know, like, like, maybe your baby's just changing position. And so I actually ended up going into the hospital because it was so intense, like it was so painful. And I was like, what the heck? And this doctor was like, well, let's, you know, let's go do an ultrasound. I was like, no. And I'm like literally squatting in between, like, like I'm in labor. <laughs> and she's like, you're not letting me do anything. I'm like, that's because I don't want you to do anything. I just want you to tell me like what part of this, of my body is in so much pain. <laughs> and she's like, I don't know. And she was just like flabbergasted. She found the midwife that I had still had that I didn't end up calling went to the hospital she was at, she checked and I was some centimeters dilated, I don't even fucking know. And she's like, maybe you're passing kidney stones, you should come back for an ultrasound. And I was like, no. And then it was gone, like my pain was gone. So I just went home, slept. And like, I think two or three days later is when I gave birth and that pain never came up again. But I do remember in that first birth, like that pain almost like starting and I like recognized it and I was like, okay. I'm not going to actually like, I'm not going to let it take over me. I'm actually going to like rise above it. So anytime it kind of came, I like imagine myself literally rising above and expanding over it. And then it wasn't pain anymore. And I took that into my second birth as well. And I envisioned this like spiral coming down and around kind of engulfing me and just like breathing into the spiral of energy and then I was just expanding with it. And it wasn't this pain that was separate. It wasn't this thing happening to me. It was me going into this experience. And so the pain was absolutely transmuted because I was working with it and expanding outside of it. But I know what it feels like to not do that and to resist. And when you resist and when you say, ah, and like you tense up and your whole body changes, that's when it's painful. And that's when you become separate from the experience. 
Yeah. And I've heard many women share that, that there was a moment where they felt like it could become pain and they found mm -hmm. a way to integrate it, as you say, rise above it or somehow transmute that into pleasure or neutrality. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, for sure. <clears throat> so then number three. Yeah, number three was interesting because she was a very much surprised pregnancy. Um, my first two were consciously conceived. So even my second one to the month, I was like, hey, I have to get pregnant in this month because this is my life plan and this is what's happening. You know, like I kind of had to plan it, but she was not planned. And she actually came when my whole like 23 year marriage was dissolving. And it was like so crazy to go through the grief of a marriage and be pregnant um, at a time where I never thought I would be pregnant for the third time. But I was moving through all of that and I had already been doing like all of your work for like five years. So I was like, I almost felt like a completely different person actually in that pregnancy and in that birth and even postpartum from her because of the work that I did like through your salons of just like really tuning in and knowing my body. And yeah, I feel like that was like super profound. So I'm like really grateful that I kind of experienced birth after doing all that work. How, so walk us through that. So when you were pregnant, how did that feel different? Like now that you've, you're on your third pregnancy, let's say that the work help to open you sexually in some ways how did that pregnancy feel different I mean it felt it felt different for two reasons it felt different because I wasn't in my like loving supportive marriage like I had experienced with my others but but because of the work that I had done with you I felt like I was more in my body and like more in my power than I had ever really experienced um, to that point in my life and so I kind of feel like it saved me in a way like it, it it like brought me into this place of like okay me and my baby like 100% I don't have a partner now supporting me loving me honoring me respecting me like that's gone and there was a lot of grief around it and yet it was like I was like blossoming into this other space that I already kind of knew because I was practicing that and you know, like when he, when my husband started to like, kind of like leave me essentially, even though we are still in the same space, like mentally and emotionally leave me, I really decided and I made this choice to turn back to myself and like not see myself through his eyes anymore because he no longer really loved me. And so how do I love myself? And that's where like the self-pleasure practice like was so important because it kept my sensual energy flowing, which is also my creative energy. I'm a full-time artist. And that's like really important that I sustain that kind of, you know, creative flow. And so that whole sensuality piece that was missing for years in my life was like there. So it actually was kind of a cool time to really kind of lean on that in a way that I hadn't had to before. That's beautiful. And that, that self-love or you as your own lover became your birth companion, you know? Oh, absolutely. Yes. And that birth was so beautiful. And like, yeah, I mean, I, I, when I first went into labor, I 
definitely gave my husband a blowjob and deep throated because I knew it would open my cervix. And I mean, deep throating is really for women more than it is for men, I think. The therapeutic benefits. Yes. Like the way it opens your throat chakra and like if you can just get into the flow of it, it's like really very beautiful. And it just like opened me up. It opened my throat so I could tone in labor and it opened my cervix. And that birth was just two hours long. And I remember this one moment in the water and my husband was downstairs with our other son. And I was just like in this like really beautiful space where my candles were lit my altar was set up and I was singing and time just stood still like there was no rushes there was nothing happening but just me singing and I sang these songs that I sang to her when I was pregnant and I really felt her presence like my baby and and me and we were just in this space and yeah I just felt so open and so expansive and she was born not too long after that and that's beautiful. And then mm-hmm. how did you feel differently in your postpartum? Because you said that was also different. Yeah, it was interesting because I was really like I I just felt like my sensual sexual energy was just like still going. And I had not experienced that postpartum before, you know, like even after my first baby, postpartum was like a very long time. I think we didn't have sex for like probably almost a year and then for years after for like a good six years after I would like run the other way if I knew my husband was wanting to have sex I'd be like ah and I did the classic I have a headache I'm tired I was so disconnected from my sensual energy so disconnected it wasn't even there it didn't even exist and I remember hearing like your sexual energy, your creative energy. I'm like, whatever. I'm so creative. And like, that's literally what I do for a living. It doesn't, it's not connected. It doesn't matter. <laughs> you know, and that's what I thought. And it wasn't until after my second baby was born that I found you. And, and he was like, I think he was like not even a year old, but I was like, oh my God, does this ever matter? Like, this is actually the most important thing ever and the work I did through you and your salons like it was transformative like my husband always referred to it as like my own sexual revolution or evolution because it changed me it changed me forever I'm like totally who I am today because of that work so what else how did you feel having the sexual peace more present with your third pregnancy birth postpartum what else would you say that did so was there more like so you did the deep throating would you say that the birth itself felt more pleasurable on the third yeah just like yeah just way more expansive and like uh like free like i just felt like so much more in tune to my body and my baby than i had with the others Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And creatively, how would how else would you describe the expansion after like coming into postpartum? Yeah, postpartum <clears throat> was just way more like peaceful and just having that sexual energy flowing, which felt so weird because my other two pregnancies postpartum was like 
I feel like I got run over by a truck. Like I just like birthed a baby out of me. And, you know, now I'm like breastfeeding all the time. And, but somehow with her, I just, I, I tapped into that sensual flow. So then the, the, the breastfeeding and even like the healing postpartum and even my yoni, like my yoni healed like almost right away. I almost didn't even, you know, deal with like a swollen uh, yoni at all after. So I just felt like, way more me and yeah rebirthing into yourself as well yes well i love all of that is there anything else that you would share that you feel you haven't covered in that story i mean i just really believe that us as women are so innately sensual and sexual and like that's been repressed because we're scared to be that we're scared to be judged, you know, and even for myself, like I love dancing and I'll, and I'll post dance videos on my Instagram. And like, I've been told that I'm too provocative and I'm like, you know, like fully clothed and just dancing sensually. And so this translation of sensuality and sexuality is like often equals you know something that's very negative and people really feel like they need to judge women on it and then I think women don't want to even tap into that because they're scared they're scared of what people are going to think or what people are going to project onto them and then if you like bring that into birth as a mother well then that's extra taboo that's like holy shit don't even go there no wonder women want to shut down for birth. No wonder they want to like disconnect entirely and get an epidural or even go further and schedule a C-section and disconnect from their body. But that sensual sexual piece is so important to really intuitively connecting to your baby and your body as a woman. Like it's all connected. Like what got the baby in is going to get the baby out. hundred <laughs> yeah. percent. Yeah. And it's crazy. The lengths of the been gone to to reinforce that chasm between sensuality and birth and motherhood where it's like one of the biggest taboos you know and people are the whole madonna horror thing like that always kills me that story of like in christianity like the great god or child of god couldn't it was so bad it couldn't even be born from fucking, right? From sex. It had to be born like magically without having sex because they couldn't even like taint the baby with this act of having had sex, you know? Like it just, it cracks me up, really. Yeah, totally. So, yeah, I just think it's like so, so important um, to, to talk about it and to share stories. I mean, for years, I didn't share my free birthing stories because I was scared. It was, offend someone offend because them. not oh, why not all women have that experience and a lot of women have actually very negative you know experiences in the hospital and through birth and it's not always this you know incredible experience and so I I found myself not speaking but in more recent years I've been sharing it and it's been actually really profound and sharing it with the sexual piece, with the sensual piece, you know, because that needs to be spoken about too. I have so many girlfriends who are just like, oh yeah, like, what are you doing again? Like, oh, I need to do that more. Or like, I need, I'm like, yes, you do. <laughs> yes, you do. It's like 
so important for yourself and for your partner and for birth if you're pregnant and you know like this whole piece is just something that doesn't need to be taboo anymore it's funny you say that i remember talking to somebody and she had had a i think she, a free birth or like very close to a free birth and she had emailed out her email list and said that she'd had this experience and she was shocked at how many negative comments and replies she actually got back that were implying that somehow she was shaming them because they had difficult pregnancies and births it's like what the fuck you know is wrong with these people and the state of the world that we're in where people think that's okay that somebody has this incredible renegade experience that they have earned me very very clear about that it's not just luck people earn these experiences like you said you had all this work that you did of clearing out beliefs and you know limitations to get to these really free places and I was shocked to hear that women actually had the gall to write and be upset that she would dare tell her story of having a really liberated, empowered birth experience when they didn't, you know? That, and that's why I think it's even more important to be sharing it everywhere so that that does become more of the norm and people realize what's possible, but also that we don't buy into this bizarre culture of somehow not sharing our triumphs and victories because someone else didn't have them. Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, that goes back, that goes way back. And that's like, you know, ancestral, I'm sure. And like, the sisterhood wounds and, you know, just, you know, all of that. But when I realized that that's what I was doing, I wasn't even conscious of it. I wasn't even really that conscious of it. I was just noticing how I didn't really say anything, you know, and then people would be like, Oh, well, you know, well, what was your birth? Like, I'm like, <laughs> well, and, they're like, and then they look at me like I'm fucking crazy. Like you, what you, you, what you were just at like nobody. I'm like, yeah, nobody. You know, and then, you know, you don't know what it's going to do and like how it's going to affect, you know, people later down the line because they just know that that exists. Once they know it exists and, you know, anything's possible when someone even know, like has that in their awareness because a lot of people don't even know that's an option even now. Yeah, it's funny that, I mean... Yeah, that people don't realize that they're, they can, but you know, there's so much programming. And so I get it, right? Like that they buy right into that. But it's also, I think people like you and me and other people who've been like intuitively felt like they could and would free birth that it's just once you're in tune with your own body and yourself, and I was already on a path of holistic healing and wellness and meditation. And so all of that just seemed along those lines, right? To not be participating in the system, honoring and listening to my own body. My body had the wisdom. I didn't need anybody else's tests or opinions or hands up my fucking vagina to tell me what was going on in my vagina, you know? And that whole process of submitting to these humiliation rituals is really what they are and rituals that teach women that you don't know anything this doctor in the white coat knows everything right they're just training women to keep giving over that power and that knowing rather than understanding they already have it 
Yeah, absolutely. And actually, like you just saying that and, you know, the women giving their power over in that way. Um, in my third pregnancy, when I realized that my marriage was, you know, dissolving and not having my partner with me anymore and turning back to being my own best lover, you know, and my own best birth assistant, um, like that was really huge. That was really huge. And I actually remember that pregnancy. I took so many photos of myself, like, you know, like beautiful, like nude pregnant photos. And I just like loved it. Like I fell in love with myself and my like baby belly and, you know, just cultivated that, that love for myself. And, you know, that's been huge for me even since divorce and, all of that. So I just like, I'm so grateful that I found that piece, you know, over 10 years ago, because it's, it's, I mean, there's no going back. Like once you, once you open that door and you like, you, you get that little, Oh, you know, there's no going back. You'll find you're you'll find such a beautiful piece of you that has been missing. And it's, it's amazing. It's transformational. I love the way you describe it and you can really feel it in your voice and how you speak about it. Mm -hmm. um, how would you describe your children, like seeing how your children born in the way that they were and if you see other people's children, perhaps, you know, who weren't born in the, who were born in the chaos of a, of a hospital or a traumatic birth, which I think in some ways, by definition, all hospital births are somewhat traumatic, if not extremely traumatic. Do you notice a difference in your children? Like, have you observed that and consciously thought, hmm, you know, I wonder if this is all about how, how they actually came into the world? I mean, I, I feel like I do, but I'm their mom, but it's a vibe. It's a total vibe. And my kids just have this vibe about them. And maybe I can attribute it to that. Like, absolutely. That they've never even like, people are even like, they've never seen a doctor, you know, like I've never taken them to a doctor. I've given them homeopathy and, you know, bioresonance and herbal remedies. And I'm my, I'm their, I'm their doctor. Like I, I'm so in tune with them. No one's ever taken that from me as a mother. I've never even allowed anyone to take that from me. So, you know, my oldest is 17 now and he's like, it was really beautiful because a few years ago, I actually unschooled him until grade nine and then he went to school and my littles go to school. But he said, he came home from school one day and said, mom, this girl kind of likes me. And she says, I'm like different than any other guys. I'm like, well, you are. <laughs> She's like, she just said, like, I'm really like kind and present and like, and he's like, I attribute that to you, mom. Like I attribute that to like all the years you spent with me and the way you raised me. And, and I feel like just seeing him as an almost adult and seeing like making those choices and he has a really good head on his shoulders. Like he really knows himself. And I feel that even with my two littles and they are in the system, so they aren't homeschooled and yet they're still so in their own essence, like they don't know what it's like to like be, you know, given over to the system in any which way, shape or form, like from the very beginning to an exam to like sniffles to like going to the doctor and asking what's wrong. Like they don't know that world. 
even though they're like inundated in it. So my 11 year old son says some really interesting things, you know, that he observes of the other kids or he'll say their parents tell them this. And I'm like, well, that's what they believe. He's like, well, we don't. I'm like, well, no. And you know, that's okay. Everyone has their own opinion, but so it's interesting to observe without being like super dogmatic and without being super whatever. Like I want them to love everyone no matter what, but I do see differences. And the other day I wondered, I'm like, I wonder, you know, like how much of this attributes to like how I gently birth them into this world and how I've raised them to not rely on any or outsource anything outside of like family or their own body, you know? It's so beautiful, that continuity, because that's what I, in my sexy mama salon, like I've tried to, I've shown that independent pathway all the way through, right? From conception to pregnancy, birthing outside of the system, and even like unschooling, radical unschooling, or, you know, options like that. It sounds like you've had that same trajectory through your life and with your children. And I love those observations about, um, you know, like even not taking them to a doctor, like there's a whole consciousness around going to someone or somewhere else to ask them what the truth is about your body and yourself. And it's bizarre, really, if you can stand back and think of that, but we've been so, most people have been so programmed to feel and act like that's normal. That's just how you do things, right? You're going to have a baby, you go to a doctor and they'll tell you what to do. (laughs) We couldn't possibly know. If you're ill, you go to a doctor, they'll tell you what to do rather than on some level we know and have the resources to heal ourselves. And we can do that, but we generally people don't and um you know these days there's such a much greater self-healing movement out there which is amazing and I love a lot of the protocols you've talked about like herbs and homeopathy and bioresonance I love all of these things and they've been my main medical system over the last three decades and have no real use I mean I think I've had like cuts stitched up you know where I've gone into a hospital and I want to take a course where I can learn how to do my own stitching you know because that's like (laughs) so um yeah it's just so beautiful to hear that trajectory from beginning to where they are now Mm -hmm. yeah truly I feel very blessed and very grateful that I was able to do that and, and and get to that space within myself um to really choose that right from the beginning you know before the internet even (laughs) when I was 26 like the internet was this like very slow machine that you didn't really do anything on you know so I found all those psychedelic books at the library that got me to that place and but now women have so much like we literally have the world at our fingertips there's almost like no excuse you know in my opinion, of just like not knowing. So I agree. Yeah, it's a lot easier to find that information now for sure. But you know, I think there's I mean, I found it as well, right? Like I found it through you even have a friend who's got the spiritual midwifery book. And I also read those um, Janine Parvati Baker books as well. And were part of my pregnancy. And you know, the information is out there when you're open to it. And it yeah, just takes like one person to start like a recommendation, which leads to another one and another one. Yeah, absolutely. 
Well, this was so beautiful. I'm like, I'm so honored to be able to hear this story. And so, like I said, kudos to you for your courage to be able to really hear your own truth and honor it through all of these experiences, which are huge life and death. I would call them life and death spiritual tests that you just waltzed and danced your way through and deep throated your way through. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Highly recommend. <laughs> Deep throating truly is the answer to many of the world's problems. <laughs> yes. Especially because most can't, you know, use their voice. So yeah. let's open up the throat chakra and get the truth out there. Well said. Well, thank you so much, Christy. Thank you, Kim. I know for some people, the gap between where they are now and where I'm talking about and where many of these women who we interview are talking about may seem massive. For some women, it's just a natural extension of a life of personal work that has led to the freedom and the confidence of knowing that this too is fully within their power and control. And for others, this is why I have created my Sexy Mama Salon, to take you on an accelerated pace through the journey of dependence on an outside authority toward self-reliance, to the point where women who once thought that they could only ever give birth in a hospital know now that the only place they could ever birth their baby is at home. And I will go so far as to say that all complications in birth are some manifestation of fear, unconscious programming, and trauma that has been imprinted that no one realized the importance of clearing before having a baby. And that is exactly what we do in Sexy Mama. We cover everything from conception to pregnancy, birth, and beyond, all the while showing you how to tap into your sexual energy and your intimate partner connection to quantum leap the process and align you with the divine flow of the universe. You can sign up for the salon at kimanami.com. Look for Sexual Savant Salons and then click on Sexy Mama. Thank you so much for listening. If you haven't already, subscribe and also leave a review and send someone else the gift of a healthy libido and an off the charts love life by sharing this episode with them. We'll be back next week. And in the meantime, many happy orgasms. <laughs>